Chapter thirty four of Half a Century by Jane Grey Swisshelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Finance and Desertion. The Pittsburgh Saturday Visitor began life with two subscribers and in the second year reached six thousand, but was always a heavy drain on my income. My domestic duties made it impossible I could give any attention to the business department, and I was glad, at the close of the first year, to transfer a half-interest to Mr. Riddle, who became equal partner and co-editor. At the end of the second year, he proposed to buy my interest, unite the visitor with his weekly, and pay me a salary for editing a page. Had the proposal been made directly to me, I should have accepted it once, but it was made through my brother-in-law, William Swisshelm, who had been clerk and business manager of the visitor for eighteen months. He advised me not to accept, and said the paper was netting fifteen hundred a year, and that if I would retain my interest, he would purchase Mr. Riddle's, get type, have all the work done in a separate establishment, and make it a decided success. I was afraid of this arrangement, but was anxious to keep up the paper as a separate publication, and agreed on condition that he would assume the entire financial responsibility, keep my interest at Mr. Riddle's valuation, and leave me no further risk than my services. If there were profits, we would share them. If none, I got no pay, as usual, but sunk no money. To make the changes he desired, I loaned him money until I had most of my small estate invested, and supposed the paper was prospering until suddenly informed that the sheriff was about to sell it we transferred it to mr riddle with my services two years in advance to pay the debts and i wrote for the new york tribune at five dollars a column to meet my personal expenses as my income from my property was gone i forget at what time the visitor was united to the weekly journal but very soon after the presidential campaign of fifty two I learned that my late partner had endorsed several notes which were not likely to be paid by the persons who gave them, and that one of these was already entered as a lien against his interest in the family estate. We had had no settlement, so I went to my lawyer, William M. Shin, who said that the entire interest of my debtor in his father's will was worth less than my claim since his death without heirs before his mother transferred his share to the other heirs. He advised me, if possible, to get a deed of that share as the only security for which I could hope. I directed him to prepare it, went immediately to the office, saw my late partner, and told him that if he did not execute that deed, I would sue him for a settlement before I left the city. He did, and I took it home early in the afternoon. In March of 57, I resigned my place on the family journal and visitor, feeling that my public work was over and that no life save one of absolute solitude was possible for me i had lived over twenty years without the legal right to be alone one hour to have the exclusive use of one foot of space to receive an unopened letter or to preserve a line of manuscript from sharp and sly inspection in the latter half of the nineteenth century a Pennsylvania court decided that a husband had a right to open and read any communication addressed to his wife. Living as I did under this law, I had burned the private journal kept in girlhood, 
and the letters received from my brother mother sister and other friends to preserve their contents from the comments of the farm labourers and female help who by common custom must eat at our table and take part in our conversation at the office i had received read and burned without answer letters from some of the most prominent men and women of the era letters which would be valuable history to-day have therefore no private papers and write this history except a few public dates entirely from memory into the mists some rays of light penetrated and by them i saw that the marriage contract by which i was bound was that one which i had made and which secured my liberty of conscience and voice in choosing a home the fraud by which church and state substituted that bond for saxon swineherds who ate boars heads lived in unchinked houses and wore brass collars in the days when alfred the great was king was such as would vitiate any other contract and must annul even that of marriage but granting that it was binding it must bind both parties and had been broken by the party of the other part through failure to comply with its requirements our marriage had been a mistake productive of mutual injury but for one it was not too late to repair the wrong he a man in the prime of life with unspotted reputation living without labour on the income of a patrimonial estate to which he had made large additions could easily find a helpmate for him one who could pad matrimonial fetters with those devices by which husbands are managed my desertion would leave him free to make a new choice and i could more easily earn a living alone the much coveted and long delayed birth of a living child appeared to have barred my appeal to this last resort but the mother's right to the custody of her infant is one i would defend to the taking of life my husband would consent to no separation and we had a struggle for my separate personal property or its equivalent a struggle in which william m shin was my lawyer and judge mellon his and in which i secured my piano by replevin dr john scott being my bondsman and learned that i might not call a porter into the house to remove my trunk i therefore got my clothing some books china and bedding by stealth and the assistance of half a dozen families of neighbours a test suit as to my right to support was decided in eighteen fifty nine and in it a judge in my native city charged the jury that if a wife have no dress and her husband refuse to provide one she may purchase one a plain dress not silk or lace or any extravagance if she have no shoes she may get a pair if she be sick and he refuse to employ a physician she may send for one and get the medicine he may prescribe and for these necessities the husband is liable but here his liability ceases the suit was about goods i had purchased by my lawyer's advice two black silk dresses a thirty-dollar shawl a dozen pairs black kid gloves stockings flannel linen half dozen yards white brussels lace any one of which would have outlawed the bill even if i had gone in an eden costume to make the purchase but being clothed when i made my appearance at the counter the merchant could not plead that i had no dress and lost his case in a subsequent suit carried up to the supreme court and decided in sixty eight it was proved that my husband had forbidden our merchant to credit me on his account and the merchant's books presented in court showed that for twelve years he had kept two separate accounts one against my husband and one against me 
on his were charged clothing for himself mother brothers and employees common groceries etc while on mine were entered all my clothing all high-priced tea white sugar etc all tableware fine cutlery table linen bedding curtains and towels on his were credits for farm products on mine only cash and he was credited with butter and eggs on the same day that i was charged with bed-ticking and towels my personal expenses from november eighteenth thirty six the date of our marriage until november eighteenth fifty six twenty years averaged less than fifty dollars a year all my husband's labor for all his life and mine for twenty years with a large part of my separate property had gone to swell his mother's estate on the proceeds of which she kept her carriage and servants until she died aged ninety-four while i earned a living for myself and his only child i left pittsburgh with my baby about the twentieth of may fifty seven and went by boat to st paul before leaving i went to settle with mr riddle and say good-bye and found him much troubled he said why is it i have known nothing of all this i did not dream there was anything wrong in your domestic relations and may have been selfish and inconsiderate my husband mine no more came upon the boat while she lay at the wharf held baby on his knee and wept over her when the last bell rang he bade me good-bye carried her to the gangway held her to the last moment then placed her in my arms sprang ashore and hurried up the wharf he would i think have carried her off but that he knew she would break his heart crying for mother before i could get to her he had once taken her away in a fit of anger and walked the floor with her most of the night seriously alarmed for her life and could not venture on that experiment again he loved her most tenderly and his love was as tenderly returned since as a duty to her i was careful to teach her to honour thy father on earth as well as in heaven had he and i gone into the pine woods as he proposed upon marriage had we been married under an equitable law or had he emigrated to minnesota as he proposed before i thought of going there would have been no separation but after fifteen years in his mother's house i must run away or die and leave my child to a stepmother so i ran away he thought i would return enlarged and improved the house wrote and waited for us could make no deed without my signature i would sign none and after three years he got a divorce for desertion in seventy he married again and i having voluntarily assumed the legal guilt of breaking my marriage contract do cheerfully accept the legal penalty a life of celibacy bringing no charge against him who was my husband save that he was not much better than the average man knew his rights and knowing them sought to maintain them against me while in some respects he was to me incalculably more than just years after i left him he said to our neighbor miss hawkins when speaking of me i believe she is the best woman god ever made and we would have had no trouble but for her friends my sister had removed with her husband to st cloud minnesota and through him i had secured forty acres of land on the shore of one of a nest of lovely lakes lying on the east side of the mississippi twelve miles from st cloud on this little farm i would build a cabin of tamarack logs with the bark on the end sticking out at the corners criss-cross my cabin would have one room and a loft each with a floor of broad rough boards well jointed and a ladder to go from one to the other it would have an open fireplace 
a rough flag hearth and a rustic porch draped with hop vines and wild roses i would have a boat catch fish and raise poultry no sound of strife would ever come into my cabin but those of waves winds birds and insects ah what a paradise it would be i had not yet learned that every human soul is a shunamite a company of two armies and wherever there is one there is strife to live is to contend and life is finished when contentions end at st paul i took a stage and night came on when we were still twenty miles from st cloud the wolves stood and looked at the stage and i knew they were between me and my hermitage but they were only prairie wolves and all day my cabin had been growing more and more beautiful the lakes the flowers the level prairies and distant knolls but most of all the oak openings were enchanting and in one of these my cabin would stand the passengers talked politics and i talked too and one man said to me did you say you were going to st cloud yes well i tell you madam them sentiments of yours won't go down there general lowry don't allow no abolition in these parts and he lives in st cloud i had had many surprises but few to equal this had heard of general lowry as a man of immense wealth and influence but no one had hinted at this view of his character i had thought of him as the friend of my friends but as the other passengers were confirming this account and i watching the wolves there flashed across my mind the thought this is a broad country but if this be true there is no room in it for general lowry and me End of chapter thirty four